Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I hold in my hand four Reese's peanut butter cups. Now, I want you to know that I wanted three musketeers. This is not my favorite candy. Three musketeers is my favorite candy. Whose favorite candy is this? <laughs> See, we've been here long enough, right? Now, let's say Vicky, like many people around the world, says, I am going to give up Reese's peanut butter cups for Lent. Now, I know, and maybe you know, that they come out with the Reese's eggs, the specialty shaped ones. Those are like her favorite thing. And for 40 days, she says, because I love God, I'm not going to eat Reese's. But she wants to eat Reese's. And have you noticed when you give something up, every TV commercial has it? Get your Reese's, get your Reese's, get your Reese's. They'll have sales at the shop, right? Right? Five packs for $1. Right? She's like, but I gave them up because I love Jesus. And by the end of Lent, it has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> Zero, right? And she's like, all I want is a Reese's. I know a young lady who gave up chocolate for Lent. And I used to sing with her. And after Easter Sunday, we sang at church, sang all that glorious music. I actually dropped her off in the city at Max Brenner. If you've not been to Max Brenner... He's a chocolatier, and all of his recipes at his restaurant are chocolate-based. And she actually made a reservation to, to, to break her Lenten fast. Boys and girls, that's not what Lent is about. I also hold in my hand a pair of binoculars. Now, I want you to see how this works. If I focus my eyes... On the reason that this mythical Vicky gave up Reese's, which was Jesus. I can't see the Reese's. I want you to hear that. I can't see the Reese's. The Reese's can't call to me. The Reese's can't. They're not on TV. They're not. Because I'm focused on something other than Reese's. Does that make sense? Now, let's have a little chat about temptation, because a lot of pastors there are going to talk about temptation, but you've probably already got it in your mind that this is not a sermon about temptation. In fact, it's called Focused and Filled. Hear about the three boys? They were on their way to school, and it was a beautiful day, and they said, let's play hooky. And they took a long ride in the car, and then they felt guilty, so they went back to school halfway through the day, and the vice principal said, uh, boys, where have you been? And they said, oh, we had a flat tire. The vice principal said, I'm very sorry to hear that. She put them in four different rooms with a piece of paper and a pencil and said, what tire? <laughs> well, some of you are laughing comfortably and some of you are like, oh, shoot, that was a smart vice principal, right? An unknown wit once said, most people who fly from temptation usually lead a, leave a forwarding address. I like that. Opportunity knocks only once, someone said, and 
temptation leans on the doorbell. Ah, one teacher of the, one student of the human dilemma put it like this. I've noticed that uh, women generally flee from temptation, but us men kind of crawl away in the cheerful hope that it will overtake us. There's a, probably a lot of truth in that observation. Now, there's going to be a lot of discussion at churches all around the world today on what actually tempted Jesus. But I want to simmer it down to this. There were three temptations. The first one was for bread. It said he hadn't eaten in 40 days. Now, most of us can't go 40 minutes. And if you've ever been on a cruise ship, they make jokes about how much food there is for people to eat. But the first temptation that Jesus had was a physiological need. There's a meme, and we've talked about this before. It says Americans will always be fat as long as cheeseburgers are a dollar and salads are eleven dollars. And which one's more accessible? Right? We all have physiological needs. We all need to eat. We all need to sleep. We all need to drink. There's there's things that our body needs, and there's healthy ways to fill those needs. And there's unhealthy ways to fill those needs. And I'm sorry to say that the healthy ones require more work. Satan says, Jesus, if you're the son of God and you're hungry, make some bread. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We're going to come back to that. But Satan couldn't tempt him on a physiological need, and I put my binoculars over there, but because Jesus was focused on something else. He wasn't focused on the need. He was focused on the Father. The second need that Satan addressed is what we would call a psychological need. He said, Jesus, you don't need to die. You don't need to follow the Father's plan. You want the whole world? I'll give it to you right now. Now, in psychology, we call that achievement motivation, right? There's always people that need to climb the next hill or, or dare we say, get the next degree. There are people in the congregation, maybe to whom I'm married, saying, why is this man pursuing yet another educational degree? Doesn't he have enough? I just like to learn stuff. I want to know stuff. But if my pursuit of knowing stuff gets in the way of my relationship with Jesus, it's just like the Reese's. There's people who need power. You've met these people? There's people who need control. <laughs> if you won't play by my rules, I'll take my ball, and I'm going home, right? There's people who want to have uh, relationships with other people, and they're willing to do unhealthy things to maintain a relationship. In fact, that's what I, I want to talk about. There's a wonderful book called His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. It's written by Willard Harley. It's similar to the love languages that we did in the Bible study last year. But uh, Willard Harley is a, a Christian psychologist, and he says that everybody brings in five core needs. Men bring five, and women bring five. And if these needs are not being met, then their love bank, he uses the same concept as uh, Dr. Chapman, their love bank gets low, and then somebody else is going to come along and fill that love bank. 
and pull them away from the marriage. It's called his needs, her needs, building an affair-proof marriage. I teach couples in therapy to ask themselves at least once a week, how am I doing? How full is your love blank? Love bank, not blank, right? Well, psychologically, we have... We have an achievement bank and a power bank and a control bank. And if we're not filling those things in a healthy, godly way, we're going to fill them in an unhealthy, ungodly way. So we've got physiological needs that can tempt us. We've got psychological needs that can tempt us. And the last need is probably the most dangerous. He says, you know, Jesus, God said that he wouldn't let your foot be harmed by a stone, I think you should test that. I think you should see if God is really the God who keeps his promises, or has he sent you down here all by yourself without any support or help? Have you ever felt far away from God? Have you ever felt that God is not keeping his promises? Have you felt that you are in this Christian journey all by yourself? Satan says, well, just jump and see what God does. And I would call that a spiritual need. Now, each one of these needs comes with it, comes with a hunger. Because if the need is not being met, then the hunger grows. True story. I'm not sure that I should tell this, but we know and love each other. And the people in Sri Lanka need to hear this. That's the newest country that's listening online to us. Shri, people in Sri Lanka, this story's for you. So I ran one day from church to the opera. I got to the speed line in time. I'm sitting, waiting in my regular spot. And this really pretty girl in fairly revealing clothing with curly red hair sits down next to me with freckles. It wasn't the girl I brought to church today. <laughs> and... And she leaned over and she says, I could really use a sugar daddy. I got up out of the bench and I went to stand by the favorite pillar I stand by and I was flabbergasted. I, I had no idea what to do. What do you do? Well, you run away from sin. That's what you do. I got up and I walked over and I made the mistake, and, and nobody in Sri Lanka will get this, but Vicky will. I made the stake, mistake of telling Steve because I just didn't know what to do. Steve is one of my best friends at the opera, and every now and then, whenever we're having a rehearsal and it's quiet, he leans up and he says in my ear, Hey, sugar daddy. I'm like, <laughs> right? Now, here's how it works. If I did not have the love that I have for my wife. If we were at a rough patch in our marriage and my love bank was low and this beautiful girl said, I want a sugar daddy, I would say, give me your phone number. We're just going to talk on the phone. Nothing's really going to happen. I would lie to myself and off we would go on the journey to sin together. Binoculars and Reese's focused, and filled. Now, what does this mean for us? I want to go back in time to Aristotle. Did you know Aristotle was the first one who said that nature abhors a vacuum? Nature wants to fill the holes in life. Think about this. 
You rake all your leaves, the wind blows, what happens? Comes right back, right? Uh, Vicky was mucking our lake yesterday. When they open up the floodgates, the lake is going to fill back up again. That's, that's what happens. Nature abhors a vacuum. Then Blaise Pascal, like almost 2,000 years later, said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of man. And he said that cannot be satisfied by any created thing. Nature abhors a vacuum. That's the hunger we're talking about. And there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every one of us that only God can fill. And then what do we do? We fill it with everything we can other than God, and we wonder why we're still hungry. So what do we do? Well, if we weren't in church today and we were just sitting around talking, we would talk about people who just give in to temptation. What, what's it going to do? Who's it going to hurt? What does the world care if I eat four Reese's at one sitting? Who cares? Just give in. Some people are going to rationalize and then give in. I, I, I think I've told you this. TGI Friday's menu yet, dessert menu used to have written on the back, let the rationalizing begin. I've had a rough week and I deserve this. I went to the gym and, and I deserve this. Or I'm going to have this and I'll do an extra 20 minutes tomorrow on, on the cardio to work it off. And we talk ourselves into having a good reason to fill the need in an unhealthy way. So some people just give in. Some people give in with a good reason. Some people say, I'm going to muscle this out. In essence, I can get through 40 days of Lent, which, by the way, is actually 47 days because Sundays are not considered fast days. You can ask the people across the street. They'll tell you that. So Lent isn't just 40 days without Reese's, for people who don't understand. It's 47 days without Reese's. And they call you. I'm right here in your kitchen, in the drawer, in the closet. They have a big pile of them right at the checkout at Wawa. And we're like, no. I love Jesus. I'm not eating the Reese's. And sooner or later, you're tearing open the package and shoving them in your mouth. Because willpower will only get you so long. Why? Because you put down the binoculars and you picked up the Reese's. There's a man who lost a lot of weight. This is a, a story, not a true story. He lost a lot of weight. And the way he did it was <laughs> he avoided his favorite bakery. He just changed his route to work. And he never stopped at the bakery, and he never got the treats, and he lost a ton of weight. Everybody's like, wow, that's great. One day he came in with bags of treats from his favorite bakery for everybody to share. They said, what happened? He said, well, there was a detour, and I had to drive by my favorite bakery. And I said, Lord, if there's a parking spot right in front, I'm going to stop. He said, and after my eighth time around the block... <laughs> Willpower will only get you so far. It gives you temporary victory. The real victory comes from your focus. Martin Luther was asked how he dealt with temptation, the great reformer. 
And he said, I know something about temptation. But the difference is that when temptation comes knocking at the door of my heart, I always answer, go away. This place is occupied. Go back where you came from. Jesus lives here. You may have uh, listened to David Jeremiah on the radio. He says that he believes that temptation isn't so much a matter of what we do, but who we love. Knowing Christ, he says, knowing him, not simply knowing him, changes everything. More often than not, power in the time of temptation comes because we filled our minds with his magnificence, and there's not room for the world's shabby offerings. There's a power in the name of Christ, and there's a power in his presence as well. Worship and fellowship with God in the morning actually make it difficult to walk right out into the world and commit some transgression. Knowing that we've just been in the presence of the Lord of creation and that we're carrying him with us changes everything. So those of you that are taking notes, there are three lessons from this. And the first one is this. Well, let's start with a little scripture first. We've all sung this song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the Reese's will be added unto you. That's not how it works. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Jesus' response to temptation was automatic. A radio show was giving out $1,000 to the eighth caller. They did this every day, every morning, and people would wait, and they would say, we're taking calls now, and one day this lady got through and he said, congratulations, you won $1,000. What's the first thing you're going to do? And without thinking, she said, I'm going to give $100 to my church because that's my tithe. He had never heard that before. The DJ was caught aghast. He didn't know what to say, but she knew what to say. Sometimes our, our, our response to temptation needs to be automatic. We need to deal with the word of God and the purpose of God and the focus of God so that we're so filled that when temptation comes, it's really not an issue. I don't need to be a sugar daddy. Am I allowed to say this? I already am. (laughs) The second thing I want you to think about is this. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Matthew 1234, Jesus responded with scripture. He spent 40 days communing with the Father. He was filled with the word of God because he was the word of God. And I want to finish with this story. Uh, David Jeremiah told this story in a sermon recently. He said, Leslie Duncan told a story about a dog he had when he was a boy. It was an unusually obedient dog, and periodically his father would test the dog's obedience. He would place a tempting piece of meat on the floor. He would turn toward the dog and give the command, no. And the dog, which must have had a strong urge for the meat, was placed in a difficult situation to obey or disobey his master's command. Duncan said the dog never looked at the meat. He seemed to feel that if he did, the temptation to disobey would be too great. 
So he steadily looked into his master's face. And Duncan made this spiritual application. The lesson is there for all of us. Always look into the master's face. Dare I say it? The dog was smarter than most people I know. Temptation is universal. Once you tackle the temptation, it doesn't mean you're done for the rest of your life. Remember, it said Satan was going to come back at an opportune time. And what is that time? When you're hungry, when you're empty, when you're weak, when you're tired, that's when you are most vulnerable. Temptation is universal. Some temptations are deadly. But with God's help and the right focus and the filling of our hearts, Lent take on a whole new meaning. Keep your eyes on the Master. Amen.